Ramskins dyed red. Seal skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. Onyx stones and the setting stones for the ephod and for the breastplate. Have them make a sanctuary for me, so that I may dwell among, among them. You are to make it all precisely according to everything that I show you. The pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the furnishings within. Just so, just so you must make it. Before we also kind of get into the message here, um, I was reminded during prayer today that, you know, we are, uh, this is Memorial Day weekend, so we do uh, want to consider, uh, you know, what, what that means, and it's not just a three-day weekend, and, we, and there's many people I know in this room that have served in the military, and, you know, we could get into all of that and all of the sobriety with regard to, you know, pacifism or non-pacifism and so forth, but the reality is we have a military in this country and the reality is, is that not everywhere would we just be allowed to just come and meet willy-nilly in a way. Not, no, not that we're willy-nilly, we're taking this seriously, but that we'd be able to meet uh, in the manner in which we are, uh, unsupervised and, and without an agenda being submitted in advance or whatever it might be. So we want to just take a moment to, to thank those who have served in the military and realize that, that our freedoms uh, are definitely um, tied to the sacrifices that those people made, make, and continue to make. So thank you uh, all of you who do serve and support our armed forces. So today I'm going to be look, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 25. We read the first nine verses, and I'll, I'll get into that here shortly. But I also want to take a little bit of time also to, to review what, what Rabbi Chaim spoke about last week and to kind of reinforce the, the message that, that we're going to be talking about. This is the second of about a four-week, at least in the immediate term, but maybe even longer that we'll be speaking uh, more about with regard to our, our efforts to obtain a building. So I want to take some time to, um, to kind of review a little bit of what, what, what Chaim spoke about last week. If you were here, you'll be review. If you haven't, you can check it out on YouTube. Uh, I'd like to have that on YouTube and they point, you know, click here. I wish I could do that. It's probably down here somewhere, you know, click, click here uh, for this video. But um, uh, we were looking in, in, at uh, Joshua chapter 1. And you see at the beginning of Joshua chapter 1, this, uh, this command to Joshua with two key words, the word now, and now get up, this command to get up and go into the promised land, kind of filling the shoes that Moses uh, has, has been in, and that, that, that Joshua needed that, that bit of prodding because these were big shoes to fill. And so Rabbi Chaim spoke about that, how now, in like manner for us, that it was the time for Joshua to to get up and to go and to enter into the, to the, the promised land, that it's also the time. We feel that the timing is, is key and is now for uh, us here in this ministry at Yeshua Tzion. As Chaim said, we've, we've paid the price in a sense uh, with regard to us being patient and waiting on the Lord and not overstepping where he's wanted us to go over these years. And that the reason that we're looking to relocate to find a, a, a different place for ourselves to meet is not necessarily about the facts that we know that we're, we're getting too large for this, this area that we're in, for this congregation. There's nothing negative going on here. In fact, our relationship with, with Greenwood here is as better, best, or better than it's ever been. So that's not part of it. It's part of the bigger vision and a part of the fact that, that now is the time for a lot of reasons. We can look and see just sheer number of people that are coming 
We can look at the, the diversity of people from, from age groups, from backgrounds, you know, with young to old and, and all in between. Um, we, we can see the, uh, just what's going on generally with regard to um, the, the Messianic movement in general, you know, that we have more Messianic congregations than, there's ever, than there have ever been. Um, there's more recognition from, from the body, the larger body of Messiah. Uh, we have institutions of higher learning. Our own Denver Seminary has a program, Messianic Jewish Studies. All of these things we can look at and say, you know what, things are growing. Uh, Rabbi Chaim and I have had c- contacts that Chaim has told me, hey, in 25 years of ministry, these kind of things have never happened before. Chaim and I were invited to a, a local chavara about a year or so ago um, at, a, at a, lo- a local reform synagogue. They, they called us up because they knew we existed. They saw our sign you know, uh, that, uh, for years, and they said, we'd like you guys to come and speak. And so we went and spoke to this group of, of, of Jewish folks um, and we're able to share about Messianic Judaism, share about our personal testimonies, these kind of things. Um, the personal interactions that, that people, you know, we talk about the People's Fair and how Judy says, you know, this is kind of the, the, the idea that we're standing and people are coming to us. And that's kind of what, ha- what has happened personally with a lot of us and with, with Chaim and myself as well. Um, you know, just having these interactions with, with, with Jewish folks, part of the larger Jewish community. I sat in our office uh, many months ago with a a gentleman, a rabbi who who was uh, part of a local hospice, who contacted, wanted to get together and talk, you know, to see how, you know, make sure that our community, and he knew who we were uh, in his way, he knew it, um, you know, wanted to, to him to know that that they that he was there and wanted him, us to know about his hospice services and that kind of thing. So we have all of these, these kind of interactions. So we believe that now is the time for us to, as was told to Joshua, now to get up and, and to move and <clears throat> to do it in a, in a deliberate Fashion. This is not something that we've done before. Deliberate fashion, meaning that we're talking about in the near term, raising some money. Um, it's not our our ultimate goal. It's just a short term goal to have some more money for. If, if we had to borrow money from a bank, which believe me, that's not our goal. We wouldn't like to do that. But that the reality is, maybe that's the next step. Because sometimes you don't know the entire plan of God. You know, we like we we often, at least in my past, I've sat back and said, "Hey, you know, I don't know the next steps. I don't know the the full future, so I'm afraid to take these first initial steps." But no, that's not the case. You take the initial steps. So that's the initial steps is to raise raise some money in the short term. Um and and to talk about it like we don't haven't normally talked about it, Yeshua Tzion, doing it in a very active way, not passively, not just, "Hey, there's a little line item in your bulletin that shows how much money we have in the in the uh, the building fund and so forth in a very active way, and this is this is new for us. We're talking about you know in a few weeks you having the opportunity at Shavuot, also known as Pentecost, to to come and with not only vegetables and fruits that we donate and so forth, but to come with a a financial commitment that that God's been speaking to you about, something that God has put on your heart, not a commitment that Rabbi Chaim or I are going to look at or know about, not a commitment that any, anybody is going to follow up with you about to see if you've if you've uh, stayed true to that commitment, but it's an opportunity. And I'm going to talk about some of the benefits today of that, but it's an opportunity for you to, to make that commitment between you and the Lord. And uh, the fact of the matter is that is, that's an odd thing for us, but it's also odd, you know, it's odd not in the sense you might think, it's odd because in what other area of your life is this the case? Anyone that's, you know, uh, I mean, when's the last time that, that any kind of financial commitment hasn't been more of a here's what the commitment is, here's how much it's going to be a month, here's the day it's due, and here are the, the ramifications if you don't pay it. That's what, we're, that's what we're used to when it comes to, quote, financial commitments. Um, and that's not at all what we're talking about here. So it's very, it's very unusual for us in that respect. 
um, because that's typically the model that we see uh, out there in the world. So while, while it is uh, maybe uncharted territory for us, while this is new territory for us to go in, um, we also realize that we're taking this step because we do believe that it, it, maybe it's unexplored, but that God is leading the way for us. And so that's why we're going to be talking about this. And again, just as we saw last week where Joshua needed this prodding to kind of move forward, um, because those are big shoes to fill, so, so too we feel that we're being stretched and we're being taken outside of our comfort zone. And that's not a really, that's not a really uh, problematic thing at all. But we want to be sure that, as Chai mentioned last week, that you know, sometimes you get excited and there's an adrenaline rush and you, you rush out and do something. We want to make sure we're taking uh, the right number of steps, but not too many steps, not going too far uh, in the area of following our own, our own tendencies. So that's why we're taking time to talk about it. Exploring what God says <clears throat> about timing. Today, exploring a little bit more about what God says about giving, because we see that here at the beginning of, of uh, the building of the tabernacle in chapter 25. Um, so we're going to talk about that, what God says about giving, and about following him, because that's an important thing to talk about actually on a regular basis, because really, regardless of whether we're in a, quote, building campaign or not, it's an important thing to talk about giving and to talk about commitment. Um, it is really very closely tied with what we talk about in our membership class. If you've been to our membership class, one of the first things we talk about is covenant commitment, you know, because people say, well, what, what's membership? It's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. And yes and no, there's no membership to the community. However, the idea of commitment and the idea of covenant is very much in the Bible. So it's very important to talk about, about commitment and what, what exactly is commitment. Um, I thought about, maybe you've heard this story about the but a cow and a chicken walking down the road together, and they pass by a uh, little breakfast uh, restaurant, and up on the sign, as you see this thing, it says, uh, steak and eggs, five ninety nine, right? And the, and the cow says, man, just shakes his head. This is horrible. This is terrible. Chicken's like, hey, what's the big deal? I mean, people got to eat breakfast, and five ninety nine. dollars what's the big problem? Cow says, well, sure, for you, maybe not, you know. For you, it's just a day's work. But for me, it's a serious commitment, you know? And it's, it's, it's that difference. That's, that's, the, that's the picture of commitment. It's a huge, huge element to this conversation. And it's, it's not about a commitment to Yeshua Tzion. Please don't, don't hear any of us saying that. It's a commitment to God himself. It's a commitment that is also very important and good for the committor, the one that's committing. Um, it puts some, some skin in the game, if you will. Hopefully not to the extent of of the cow. We're not talking about that kind of commitment uh, to become the stake necessarily, but it does. It, it, there's, a different, there's a different when you, when you put, uh, when you put some, some of your own skin in the game, as it were, because halfway in, as far as I'm concerned, is, it really means all the way out you know, of anything. When you're halfway into something, uh, you pretty much might as well be out when you got one foot out. So so that's kind of the, the, the focus of what we're looking at. Some of what we're looking at today is commitment. That's really the big picture we're talking about, commitment. Again, commitment to the Lord, commitment that benefits you, um, and, and that's what we're going to talk about. So let's transition into what was read today, and we'll look to glean a few more uh, pieces to this picture of, of stepping out in faith and giving to the Lord. So if you have your Bible, we'll be pretty much there. We'll be looking starting in, in Exodus 25. And this is... Um, this is the beginning, actually. This, this is the beginning of a weekly Torah portion, not the weekly Torah portion that we're in now, but it is 
the beginning of a weekly Torah portion uh, called Truma. Truma is this, uh, this word basically means, you may see it translated offering. Um, the picture is that, that something that is torn off of a, of a larger piece and, and it's held up, or you sometimes we'll read the word heave, heave offering. So it's the idea of lifting up or bringing up an offering. Because in context, uh, in chapter 25 here, this is right after, or actually Moses is on top of the mountain right now. He had just ascended with Aaron and his two sons, Nadav and Avihu, uh, and 70 elders of Israel, and right before this chapter, in chapter 24, uh, is one of these, uh, probably one of the greatest theophanies ever in the Bible, where these, these folks go up the mountain, and they, says it pretty clear, they see the Lord. And uh, there's often an argument, you know, in, in, in Judaism, well, no one can see God and live. Exodus 24, it says they saw the God of Israel, and not only did they live, they had a party. I mean, it says they ate and they drank. And, uh, and now Moses goes up to God alone, and he receives what we start reading about here. He receives all of these instructions, uh, the beginning instructions of the building of the tabernacle, um, which is why I entitled this message, Building of the Tabernacle, or something like that, I think. NIV said it right on top. That's what I chose. But uh, they have nice titles sometimes. But uh, the, uh, is that terrible? <laughs> what does it say? Offerings? Offerings. Offerings. So that's kind of what goes on here is offerings for the tabernacle. We see that. And this continues really from here through the end of the book of Exodus is all about the tabernacle and the building of the tabernacle. There's a slight uh, aside there, a little thing called the golden calf incident in, in, in Exodus 32. But really, still, it's all about the building of the tabernacle all the way through the end uh, of the book with the, with the big image being that God wants to dwell amongst his people. That's the whole point of all this detailed stuff in these further chapters. You'll probably, your eyes will cross if you keep reading past what was read uh, this, this morning because all these details and all for the purpose of God dwelling, which he said there in, in, in verse 8. And that happens. If you skip to the end of the book of Exodus, you see, finally, it's done. And God, I kind of just picture this, ah, God just kind of sits there at the, at the tent of meeting there. Um, and that, that's what happens. So that's what's going on. Um, verse 2 here in chapter 25 begins with this command, this command to speak, speak to the children of Israel. And, and the way it's constructed there is that, in, in the grammar, so, grammar there, is that it's speak so that these things will happen. So that what? So that, hopefully it says, the, these are desirous words here. It doesn't, this may not translate it that way in your, in your text, but the grammar suggests Speak so that the people might want to voluntarily give. Speak so that the people would want to bring these things freely, voluntarily, from their heart. The translation probably does say, and some of yours may say voluntarily, is the word for, for voluntarily there. Kind of the word for, um, the modern Hebrew word for volunteer is what's <clears throat> that, that word, uh, where we get from that word. Um, and many of us are, are familiar with, for instance, Second uh, Corinthians 9 this, quote, New Testament idea of giving freely, voluntarily from the heart, right? Second Corinthians 9, um, God loves a cheerful giver. Give voluntarily, not out of compulsion, right? Not out of compulsion, but cheerfully, voluntarily out of your heart. And, and, and believers read this, and they're like, whew, you know? Not like that regimented Old Testament way of tithing and giving, or giving a tenth or even more in some cases, right? Thank, thank goodness, thank God for, for Second Corinthians 9. Well, no, we see here, Exodus 25, that God's picture of giving, God's desire for giving all along uh, is always this idea of voluntary giving. This is not some new 
uh, newfangled New, New Testament, if you will, idea about giving, that his, his desire for people has always been, his desire is for people to give willingly and freely. All giving is done this way. Otherwise, it's really no benefit to anybody. So what about cheerful giving? Maybe, maybe uh, you feel this way. Maybe you've heard. I don't know. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not very cheerful about giving. Therefore, <laughs> I'm really not that happy about it. And I need to be. I need to be happy. And the, the Word tells me I need to be happy about it and cheerful about it. And I'm not, so I'm going to wait because things are tight. And if I give, then I'm going to be, I don't see how I'm going to be able to take care of my other responsibilities and, and things that I need, need to, to, to do. And I certainly won't be cheerful if I'm under any financial pressure. So uh, I'm going to, the, the Bible tells me to be a cheerful giver. And I'm not, so I'm going to wait. Well, a couple things about that. And if I get, maybe I'm not talking to you. I don't know. But uh, is it possible? Is it just possible that you're not cheerful or you're not relaxed, comfortable financially, and whatever that might look like for you, for the very reason that you've not ever committed to a regular tithe or an offering, let alone what we what we're going to be talking about, which is above and beyond that. Is it possible that that's a reason for a lack of cheerfulness? Um. And if that's the case, if we're not cheerful when it comes to giving, and we know we're supposed to be cheerful, cheerful, think about it, I mean, really consider cheerfulness in giving. How can you become that way? How could you possibly become cheerful? It's a tall order, I think. But first of all, I want to tell you that one thing that I think it has nothing to do with um, how much you possess, how much you have access to in terms of giving. Um, some of us think that, you know, if we had a lot of surplus money that we'd be very cheerful of giving. In fact, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I know when the, I don't play the lottery, but when it's out, I, I tend to sometimes just think, what would I do with whatever it was? And what was the last one? Several, it was 600 million or some crazy amount like that. Close to a, it was close to a billion dollars, wasn't it? You ever tried to spend that kind of money in your head before? I mean, I have. I, I've tried. I've th- thought about it. And where do we tend to start? Well, we think, okay, you think about your house and what you would do, and then maybe cars and maybe putting money away for kids or relatives or helping out, you know, getting my, my father or my mother uh, some type of home or homes for all my kids, uh, this kind of stuff. And we kind of work out from there. And the truth is that hundreds of billions of dollars, you got some left over. And so it gets exciting. You start thinking, man, then I, what would I do? I could do all kinds of other nice things outside of that, good philanthropic things. You shoot out your own building? Yeah, where, when, how, what size? That's, that's nothing, you know. That's the kind of thing. I mean, I've got a buddy, actually, uh, that, I, that I meet with from time to time, and he still kicks himself. He had this multi-million dollar trucking deal he was trying to do, and he said he was one signature away, and he, he, in his mind, he, he knew me. He's not part of the congregation, but he wanted to buy us a building with the money. And that was, and, and that was part of his impetus. He's like, I just, if I had got this deal done, I had it off. And he, he never got it done. He kind of kicks himself kind of thing. But he, you know, that's the, sort of the thought. Once I get this done, and it wasn't like that was going to be the first thing he did, not to, put, you know, to, to impugn him or anything, but the fact is once we think about our immediate stuff and we go out a little bit from there, we think about what we would do with the extra. You know? But without the, the lottery reality, okay, it, it's just that right now you know, we think I need everything for myself, for my family, because if I, the lottery reality is you know, thing, that, that's sort of not a reality. It's a, it's a dream. But we think that the concept still stands, that if I could just take care of myself, my family, all these kind of things, then I'd be, ha- I'd be happy. I'd be excited because when I dream about it in terms of, you know, if I won the lottery, I do. I get excited and happy about what I could do. And I believe that's a genuine sentiment, right, that if we, once we get everything taken care of here, we can take care of other stuff. But I think it's actually a backward. It's a backwards sentiment. 
It's similar, I see, to the, to the view of, of biblical marriage. Um, I want to suggest that, that the cheerfulness of giving, just like biblical marriage, uh, it comes after the act of giving. Pardon me. In the early pages of Scripture, when the Hebrew uh, patriarch Isaac comes to his soon-to-be wife, Rebekah, we see this in Genesis 24, the text tells us that he took Rebekah, she became his wife, and then it says, and then he loved her. There's a definite, there's a definite uh, progression that comes afterwards. You know, not giving or, or being inconsistent in giving really is, I think, indicative of another issue. And it has nothing to do with how much money a person has. It has nothing to do with how much money a person makes. But it's a matter of the heart. And so really what God is speaking about, I think, in, this, in this verse, these verses of Exodus, and this idea of, of voluntarily giving, and, and the first step for a lot of us with regard to giving, is to, it's, it's not about a change of our financial picture and hoping that we had that kind of surplus that we would have through the hundreds of millions of dollars that we, we win in the lottery. It's not a matter of changing our financial picture in order to give, but it's a matter of changing our heart and a matter of changing our way of thinking. And this is probably nothing new to anybody. Um, we can say all day long, yeah, just change your heart, change your way of thinking. But again, this doesn't come overnight, which is why I think it's worth talking about it again today because it's mentioned here at the beginning of this these next you know, 12 chapters in, in, uh, in Exodus, it's a matter of, it's a matter of changing hearts in, in, about this, and that's not, a, that's not an overnight deal. That takes time, and that's why we're talking about it, okay? Because, again, I, want you to, I really want you to hear this, and, and you probably, hopefully you heard it from Rabbi Chaim. This is not about uh, a loss for Yeshua Tzion if anyone out here decides not to give. We, we're hoping, and we're praying, we're believing for 100% participation in this. But if it doesn't happen, and regardless of what happens, this is not about a, a loss for for Yeshua Tzion, the recipient, you know. But it's really a loss for the giver. It really is. Who doesn't want to be joyful anyways? Truthfully, would you rather be sad? I mean, we, there's some people we think maybe that person enjoys being an old, you know, kajur or whatever it is, you know. Um, we, we have a words in Hebrew for, or Yiddish for, for, for old, old folks and the kind of the, the, the crotchety way they can be and so forth. But the truth is no one really wants to be that way. And it's a loss for the giver. Not having a cheerful or joyful heart does not equate to a loss, a financial loss for Yeshua Tzion. It really doesn't. But it equals a spiritual and a physical loss to the giver, to you, and for the people around you when you're not, when you're not cheerful. In the Torah tidbits um, for this Torah portion, for Truma, this was back in February. If you save your bulletins, it'd be, it's back there. But um, it talks about this Torah portion. And one of the things it says there, it says that how much does fellowship with the Lord mean to us? How much does fellowship with the Lord mean to us? Are we willing to commit our resources, meaning our time and our, our money and our energy, to that fellowship? And I think that, like any relationship, um, our relationship with the Lord takes effort. Think about in your life, if you've, maybe you've moved from one neighborhood to another. Maybe you've moved from one job to another. Do you still have friends from that old neighborhood that you're in touch with? Maybe it's a different state even you've come from. Do you still have relation with, you know, friendships with people from those jobs that you've known in the past? What about college, college friends and, and high school friends? What about elementary school friends? Anyone have any friends from, like, kindergarten in here? If you do, does, does that come easily? Are they, are they your next-door neighbor? Does that come easily? Or did it take time and effort 
money perhaps to visit to make phone you know we used to have to pay for long distance phone calls back in the day i'm looking out most people i'm not speaking to the few of these young faces up here might think what long distance charges you know and so it actually took effort and money to stay in touch with people back then so relationships take effort and they they take time um and energy and the truth is that ultimately uh we do whatever we want to do with our time and our money and our energy don't we we really do whatever we want on the one hand 500 bucks for a new suit over here, I'm not even going to think about that. Or a new dress, a pair of shoes, 500, are you kidding me? All of a sudden, the 60-inch LCD TV where you didn't have 500 bucks, well, I got 500 bucks now, all of a sudden, right? It really depends on, 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 the, on what's in front of you. Now, the real question is what is most important to you? What are you really committed to? And that, that's a real gut check, a real heart check for a lot of us, you know? It's a real, it's a real check. So is it possible, is it possible that if you're struggling with, if you're struggling with money, and specifically struggling with the giving of your money. Put that in quotes. Your tithes and offerings, whatever it might be. Could the reason be that just simply that the cause is not big enough? The cause of that relationship is not big enough. Moving on in Exodus 25, you look at verses 3 to 7. I'm sure uh, Hillary had a real fun time reading about all those things, you know. And it's kind of funny, different translations have different things. You read about the, the chapter before, I was looking, it was kind of interesting uh, when it talked about the surface that, that God's feet were standing on, that the people saw, it'll have all these, you know, these jewels or types of colors I think I've never heard of. There was one footnote that said, ah, actually that is lapis lapuli or something like that. And I'm thinking, oh, of course, yes, lapis, what, what? Hey, you know, lazuli, you know, I, it's something, it's a word we use every day, right? Uh, in, in this one, it's kind of the same thing. You know, people really like to get into all of the details of what type of wood. Is it shittim wood? Is it acacia wood? Um, so it's actually shittim in the Hebrew, so people decide that's acacia. And then there's people that want to go off and decide, well, what are all the properties of acacia and the molecular structure? And how does that symbolically tie into this? And are those dolphin skins or was that manatee skins? And the NIV says, no, that's a, a what was it, like a, a dugong skin. I'm like, oh, a dugong. Yeah, sure. Okay, like as if that clarifies, the footnote really clarifies, it's not a manatee or sea, it's a dugong. Okay, I didn't notice that at the Denver Zoo last time I was there. But in any event, we get a list of all of these things that the children of Israel are to bring to the Lord, this, this expansive list. And again, you could spend your time analyzing all of those uh, known as well as disputedly known materials here, trying to figure out the hidden significance and the meaning of all that stuff. Or you can take them at face value and say, okay, it's a dugong. And um, step back and look at what I see as the bigger picture here. And some will say that, you know what, really what, what this all represents. These are all these things that people were to bring. It just represents money because people didn't, they didn't have currency, so it's just, it, it equals money. And so I give the, the, the famous Heimerbach answer, yes and no. Okay, yes, of course. They didn't have billfolds and, and cash out there necessarily. But not necessarily, I don't think it just, we don't want to look at that just as they're bringing just their equivalent of money. Because you look at the variety, regardless of what the stuff is, I mean, some of it's pretty straightforward, gold, silver, thread, and all that stuff. Uh, You look at it, you know, gold, thread, oil, spices, it's a variety, it's a big variety of stuff there, isn't it? It's a lot of different things. And when I look at that, I think, you know what, regardless of what that stuff is, I don't think that there was any one person that had all that stuff, right? So the picture I see there is that the building of the tabernacle, the offerings for the tabernacle, uh, necessarily had to involve everybody. 
It couldn't have just been the guy with the dugong skin, you know, who also had all the gold thread, silver spices, and all that stuff. And, and for us, I think, if this is instructive, the, that the acquisition and the operation of, a, of an equipping center, quote, you know, building for Yeshua Tzion, um, also, in like manner, the picture there shows us that it, it requires everybody. It requires everyone. Each one of us has a, has a role to play. And that now, again, as far as timing goes, now is the time for us to be mobilized together. This endeavor of ours to have our own facility, our own equipping center, has to be done as a group. It has to be done as a group. Each one of us is going to have their own part. Maybe you're not a person uh, that you think, well, I certainly don't have the, the, the gold. I'm not the gold guy, that's for sure. I don't have the silver or so forth. And that seems to be like the valuable stuff maybe. But maybe you've got the oil. Maybe you've got the thread. I mean, you've got to have spices probably, right? Something. And as I was reading these verses in these chapters, um, and I want to encourage you to do so as well, uh, something else really, really jumped out at me after these, after these nine verses. Again, verses 3 through 7 talk about all this stuff that everybody is to bring. And then it says in verse 8, if you look at verse 8, probably all your translations say it just about the same way. It says, and have them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. Probably everyone says, have them make me. Have them make. And starting here in verse 8, if you just kind of hold your finger there for a moment and, and, and look ahead a little bit, starting here in verse 8 and then continuing through really the the end of the book of Exodus, you see a word and an overall concept that is just repeated over and over and over again. And that word is make. Starting there in verse 8, I'm just looking down, I mean, in chapter 25 here alone, you kind of, if you have paragraph divisions, you'll probably see it initially at the beginning of just about every paragraph. They shall make an ark. You shall overlay it. You shall overlay it. You shall make poles of acacia wood. You shall make a mercy seat. You shall make two cherubim. Make a seat. Make the cherubim. You shall make a table of acacia wood. You shall make a mercy seat. You shall make a round of a rim a handbreadth. You shall make for it four rings of gold. You shall make poles of acacia wood. You shall make its plates. You shall make a lampstand. You shall make them according to the pattern. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle linen. You shall make, you shall make, you shall make, you shall overlay, you shall do, you shall make, 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 make. It's almost comical if you now sort of look on these next... I mean, to me, it's almost comical the number of times. And it's the same word, the same Hebrew word over and over again. Over and over and over again. You shall make, you shall make, you shall make. It's kind of crazy how, how often that, that word is in there through the rest of this, this book even. You know, I, I, uh, I had a friend back when... Uh, I had a car that needed brakes on it. I remember my car needed brakes and uh, this is many, many, many years ago, and I had a buddy who said, oh, I, can, I know how to do brakes. I'll, I'll save you some money. He was actually an elevator repairman, but really good with, uh, <laughs> worked, for, worked for an elevator company, but he, he was real good with tools and knew how to fix stuff. He said, yeah, why don't you bring, you know, get, get, buy the brake pads and come on over, right? So, uh, man, I was going to save a bunch of money. I bought the parts, brought my car over to his house. We, we used my jack, you know, it was my jack to, to jack the car up because that's the jack for the car. He said, okay, go get me some tools out of the garage. I went and grabbed a couple of things out of his garage. And then he turned, we had, took the wheel off. He turned, over, turned to me and he said, okay, now you're going to take this caliper off. And I'm like, huh, what? No, now you're going to take the caliper off and we're going to push back the piston. You're going to put the pads in there and you're going to do. I said, I'm hey, hey, Rob, uh, sorry about that, man. I'm not, I'm not the one that turns the wrenches, you know. Um, this is why I got the car here. This is why I went and, you know, that, this, you got, this is why you're here. You know, I will, uh, I'll bring the parts. Probably going to buy you a six-pack of beer also, 
But, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not turning the wrenches kind of thing. But no, it wasn't going to be that easy. He had some of the tools that I didn't have. He had the know-how. But I was going to have to get in there with him and turn the wrenches to get this job done. And here's the punchline, I think, for us, is that serving God involves everything. It involves giving. It involves bringing. But I think pretty clearly, when you look here in, in this, the rest of Exodus here, it involves then using what you've brought. In other words, God wants you to get in there and turn the wrenches as well. That's part of, the, that's part of this giving process. And, uh, you know, some of us are familiar with the phrases that missionaries employ that will say, you know, hey, you know, if you can't go, then send, you know, and send your money for, for those who can go if you can't go yourself. And that is true. That is very true. We do that at Yeshua Tzion as well. We do send, we, we, we have a tithe of our tithe that we send to missionaries elsewhere in places we can't go, and it's absolutely true. But the picture here in Exodus 25, the picture of this building of the tabernacle, the place where God is going to dwell with his people, through the end of this book of Exodus, and the, and the things that, that we're considering as a community, we're not talking about sending people, we're talking about something very similar to this. And the picture here in Exodus it could be nothing more different than that idea of you bring and step back, you know, versus you bring and do. And that's the, that's the holistic, the big picture of what the building, of what our building, Yeshua Tzion's building, is going to look like and needs to look like. What we're going to need is money. That's, I mean, we're talking about that. We're going to continue to talk about that. We're not going to apologize for that again. We're going to need money, of course. And that's step one. We're also going to need the gifting of every single person here. And that's not just the bringing of the gifts. It's not just the bringing over of the car with the brake pads. You're going to get in there, and it's going to be using the gifts that you bring. That's part of the picture when we're talking about pray to consider what God would have you do. You know, a lot of us think, okay, how much, how much, and for how? Yes, but don't think that it's just a matter of you're bringing the stuff and not doing anything. There's a bigger picture if you're part of this community and making that commitment, making that real commitment, that steak and eggs commitment, you know, uh, that it's more than just what you're going to bring. It's a part of what you're going to do and what you're going to be a part of here as well bringing the gifts, but also using the gifts. There's physical setup, the technical setup, the operations, the greeting, welcoming new people, things that go on when you're not in the building, talking to people outside, you know, during the week, all these kind of things. There, there, there's, there's tools that we're going to have, there's things you're going to bring, and there's, there's ways you're going to use those things that you bring. Uh, I remember um, the congregation I was part of in Maryland, the... Uh, the, the leader there, the rabbi there, was a very uh, outdoorsy kind of guy. He was, he actually for many years before, he had seven kids. Before he had all the kids uh, at once, he, uh, he would live out, lived out in the country. I think he was in Montana or one of these real rural places. He had some land out there. He lived in a thing called a yurt. Anyone know what a yurt is? I don't know what a yurt is. He was, this guy was hardcore, and he lived in this farming community in a yurt, and he, was going, he wanted to start a commune, all this kind of stuff. And he, he, he told the story one time about being at a, um, at a local, like, farmer auction. You know, all the people bring their farm equipment and stuff like that. And he was just so, I mean, this is, you know, a guy in his by late 20s or something at the time. He was so excited about all this farm equipment he saw. His eyes got big, and he just bought all this stuff, you know. Bought all this equipment and you know, hand tools and all kinds of stuff. And he loaded them in his truck, and he was loading them in there after he bought them. He said this old-timer, this old-time farmer came up to him and just kind of looking at him. Look at his truck. And he said, boy, looks like you bought yourself a lot of work there. <laughs> you know? 
And so as you're praying in, about your commitment to this endeavor, and you're thinking about and praying about the things you're going to do and you're going to be able to bring to the table, realize that it's more than a simple commitment of your money or tools. There's going to be some work there we're buying, you know? And it's going to be a commitment of some future participation as well. And again, not that Yeshua Tzion suffers if you don't. This is, again, for the benefit of those who are giving. This is, the commitment is good for the committor, for the givee, if you will. And again, this is instructive for us because this section of Scripture in Exodus is talking about giving in a way that, that mobilizes the community and sets them up for future fellowship with God and with each other. There's a lot of activity. All these do's, makes, overlaying, and this and that that you read. If you just, again, if you, if you did skip even further, all that stuff I said, all this making, that was just actually chapter 25, maybe a tiny bit in, maybe one verse into 26. It goes on and on and on. So this is a picture of community activity. Um, this is a picture of a mobilized community that, again, the big picture is laid out there in verse 8 that was read, is that so God might dwell. You know, we have a song, I forget that's the, so that I might dwell among, amongst them, is what it says. And that's what God wants to do. And so as each of you seek the Lord over these next several weeks to see what part he would have you to play, ask him for that, that full picture. This is not just a how much, how often kind of picture. That's part of it. But ask him that he would show you that full picture of how he wants you to be involved in this process. From what you have to give, from what you will bring, and then don't forget the piece about of how you will use and how you will work with what you have and what you bring. So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for showing us today uh, your method of giving, your picture of giving, the way you lay it out, and your method of how each one of us is, uh, is, has something unique and something different to give, Lord. And I pray that you continue to show each one of us what our, what our initial financial part is in obtaining this meeting space that we believe you have chosen for us, that you want us to be planted, you want us to be a, continue to be a, uh, recognized in the community, Lord. Show us how we're to be involved in that, and then show us what our continuing part, continuing part in that equipping center will be. I pray, Lord, that this process that we're going through would, one, would be one that, uh, where you would be pleased, you'd be glad to continue to meet with us there, to dwell in our midst, Lord, as you have been faithfully for, for decades here. We pray that as we embark on this process, that whatever we do, whatever we bring, whatever we use, that it would be pleasing in a way that you would be happy to settle there with us in our midst. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here today that might be struggling with the idea of giving of their finances towards this effort, Lord. I pray that, Lord, if that's the case with anyone here, that you would break through and give them the joy and the gladness that comes from giving. Give them the, the, the faith to step out and to take you at your word. Your word that says that, that we take steps sometimes before knowing all the facts, Lord. It's the same way with, with Yeshua, Lord, that we sometimes we want to figure it all out in our brain and figure all these details out, Lord, but we often just have to make that step of faith, not blind faith, but a step of confident faith beyond a, a reasonable doubt, Lord, that we make that step first, and then we experience joy. We take that step first, then we experience your fellowship, Lord. Lord, I pray against strongholds that have rooted themselves in people's lives today, that maybe today would be the day that you would break through and show them that not only can they give, but that they can become cheerful and they can really truly become joyful and experience your joy, Lord, uh, in their giving. 
These things we ask in Yeshua's name. Amen.